is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. The Northern Land Council says it's lost confidence in the Territory Government's ability to regulate the cotton industry and has joined a growing list of organisations that are concerned about the amount of land clearing that's happening in the top end. There have been, I think, 18 applications for land clearing permits made in the recent 12 months and um, every time we've put in a submission, it feels like it's just falling on deaf ears. Also today, we'll share with you the latest news on the spread of lumpy skin disease and foot and mouth disease in Indonesia. We had expected it to spread much more quickly than it has, and it hasn't. But the other, the other thing that's happened is it's popped up quite randomly in places uh, which wasn't expected. And we'll head to a paddock near Catherine today where farmers have been busy soiling their undies. I'll tell you more before 1.30. We're broadcasting right across the territory on the ABC, streaming online, and g'day there if you are tuning in via the podcast. The nation's biggest performance horse sale is underway in Tamworth, and I tell you what, there's been some big dollars forked out. There was a mare who sold yesterday in Tamworth for $400,000. Holy! There's some Territorians getting amongst the action as well. And we're joined this afternoon by Wayne Bean from Catherine, who I understand is actually in the saddle right now. Is that right, Wayne? <laughs> yeah, good afternoon, Matt. Yeah, that's right. I'm just out the back of the sale ring now. You might be able to faintly hear the auctioneers going. They've been going flat out now since 8 o'clock this morning, and uh, I just popped out the back there to talk to you guys. <laughs> we really appreciate that. This is a a big sale that seems to grow every year. For those not familiar with uh, the Nutrien Classic, what can you tell us, Wayne? Well, firstly, it's a you know it's the biggest stage to sell a horse uh, in the performance horse industry in Australia. Um, you know, some of the prices we get down here are never seen at any other sales. It's certainly not the best place to buy them if you if you're on a budget, but um, yeah, a good place to source a really good horse if you, if that's what you're chasing. Uh, the other big attraction is, um, you know, it's at a great time of the year for all Northerners, not just Territorians, but, you know, people from the Gulf and Central Queensland. It's normally raining this time of the year and not too much they can do. So, um, and the same is true with me, you know, I wouldn't be able to get away if it wasn't in the month of January or February. Uh, it'd be impossible for me to get away. And coupled with that, there's a lot of incentives here so we can bring horses down. And if we've sold or purchased horses here, you know, we can get to ride for $100,000, um, you know, which is a whole heap of fun. Mm. And you took some horses down to sell. Tell us about yesterday and how you went. Yeah, um, bought three geldings down here, two four-year-olds. I sold the seven-year-old gelding yesterday, a spoonful of night, commonly known in the camp draft arena in the Territory as George, as his stable name, and sold him for $70,000. Uh probably twice as much as what I expected. Um, I was hoping to get about 70, 75 for the whole three, so i still got two to go. Um, so, yeah, I've got a smile from ear to ear at the moment. Because <laughs> we're talking a gelding here who is seven years of age. 
So uh, uh, for, for those who might not follow equine closely, we're, we're talking an animal that doesn't have a breeding future. Um, yeah. So that's, that really is quite some dollars. At seven years of age, uh, how long has George got left, say, on the camp drafting circuit to try and win some prize money for its new owners? Well, where he's gone to, uh, Canamble in New South Wales, uh, horses tend to live and last longer down there because they're not subject to the heat and humidity like we are where we, we live in Catherine, Northern Territory. So he's going to have beautiful weather, beautiful nutrition in front of him for the rest of his life. Um, he's actually gone to a guy that's 68 years old that just wants a reliable horse to catch and ride down, check on a few cattle and uh, go to the local camp draft once or twice a year and uh, maybe chuck his daughter on it as well. So, yeah, uh, George has gone to a really great home. That would mean a lot to you as well, yeah? I mean, the dollars are nice, but that's a lovely story. It is, it is. Um, you know, when we leave home uh, in Catherine, we like to know our horses are already sold. We don't know who to, and we don't know how much for, you know. We don't put a reserve on them, and um, it's just uh, the icing on the cake when you can get just a, such lovely people to purchase them and take them to such a beautiful place to spend the rest of their life. Via the Nutrient Classic Sale Facebook page, I have just read that a horse called Regent has sold for $210,000 purchased by Mount Riddick Pastoral Company. I assume they're in Central Australia. No, Mount Riddick Pastoral Company is actually in the Territory. Uh, yes. It's owned by the Cadzo family, uh, just northeast of Alice Springs. Um, beautiful property and, yeah, really great people. Uh, there's been quite a few purchases from people in the Territory, um, but that particular horse, yeah, went to Mount Riddock. Wow. And you yourself, Wayne, uh, what's your chances of being able to bring some horses home? Well, I always try and buy one every year. I've got one coming up in about two minutes, actually. <laughs> uh, I want to try and have a go at and another one tomorrow. But, yeah, I'll just see how deep my pockets are. I've got a pretty good budget now that I've sold George for the money I did. So um, I'll, I'll have a pretty hard crack. <laughs> well, I really appreciate your time. And how about we let you go? Because um, it sounds Thanks, like man. you need to focus. So thank you so much for your time. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Cheers. Appreciate it. That is uh, Wayne Bean from Catherine. He's at the Nutrient Classic in Tamworth. This is the nation's biggest performance horse sale. How about that mare yesterday that sold for $400,000? We'll hopefully meet the new owners maybe on Monday. Wayne sold a gelding, a seven-year-old gelding yesterday for 70000 He's got two more horses up for sale tomorrow. I'm pretty sure it is. And yes, well done to the Cadzos. I was I was playing stupid earlier on. I knew exactly who would who who would uh who had bought it and uh wow, two hundred and ten thousand dollars for Regent. Uh it's a stallion, so obviously a lot of opportunities for breeding there, but that's quite the purchase and that's the sale that this has become there in Tamworth. Absolutely huge. Hello, my name's Tom Burrow. I'm a ranger over on Groot Island and you're listening to The Country Hour. Our tech number, if you want to get in touch with the program, is 0487 Well, almost... 
12 million Indonesian livestock have now received at least one dose of foot and mouth disease vaccine, according to the Indonesian government's website. The country, of course, is also trying to limit the spread of lumpy skin disease, which continues to move at a steady pace across the archipelago. What's the latest information? Well, Dan Fitzgerald had a chat to Dick Slaney, who works for one of Indonesia's biggest dairy producers, and he says he's been surprised about the nature of how lumpy skin is spreading. Yeah, in terms of the lumpy skin disease itself, you know, it's it's coming up 12 months since it, it popped up in the country up in North Sumatra. We had expected it to spread much more quickly than it has, and it hasn't. But the other the other thing that's happened is it's popped up quite randomly in places uh, which wasn't expected. And so, therefore, it's it's put us all made us all a bit nervous. However, the vaccine for LSD, the country uh, Indonesia has approved, and the government's approved the distribution and usage of two vaccines, and and they're easy to get and easy to administer. So we're not that worried about the LSD in, in the immediate term. Although for the dairy industry, if we're not vaccinated, it's it's very 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 serious. So. So the local uh, provincial governments in East Java and Central Java in particular are rolling out quite well. So the threat of LSD on the surface seems to be all under control um, then at this stage, um, in, meaning the government's got vaccines available and the vaccination programs are being rolled out in the areas that have been where LSD has been identified. So do you think yeah. its spread is being limited? Um that's more of the concern. We don't yet see evidence that the government's rolling out the vaccination programs ahead of the disease, i.e. in provinces that haven't yet been hit by it. And that's what, it need, that's what needs to happen for the prevention of its spread, for example, to eastern Indonesia and over into Papua and down into those, those eastern islands closer to Australia, such as Sumba and, and, and Timor itself. Um, so that's what we'd like to see, and we don't yet see evidence that it's doing that. Um, whilst I've said that, I'm not privy to up-to-date information from the, the uh, provincial governments as to what they're exactly doing, so I, I could be wrong, but we don't see evidence that they are rolling out those programs in provinces not yet hit by LSD and or FMD for that matter. The Indonesian government, it's also rolling out vaccinations for foot and mouth disease. Um, according to its website, uh, it's vaccinated nearly 12 million head of livestock at the moment. What are you seeing in terms of the spread of foot and mouth disease, Dick? Yeah, so what we, the issue for the Indonesian government will be keeping that program going. LSD's uh, once a year vaccine and it's, so it's quite easy to get on top of it and get that program and maintain that program whereas the FMD is going to be uh, depending on the vaccine twice if not three times a year quarterly probably um, for for FMD that's certainly our approach to it we're vaccinating our, our, our cattle um, every three months once we get on top of that until we're uh, until we're quite sure of the the efficacy of those vaccines, as to as to the level of immunology uh, immunity in the, in our cattle, so I think that um, what is more of a concern, I think Daniel, is that uh, we're not seeing widespread vaccination programs for, for small stock, and in particular goats and sheep. Uh, more more goats. Goats are, are under big industry in Indonesia that they are in Malaysia. 
but a lot of farmers have got goats in behind the houses and that sort of thing. And and I have seen some evidence of small stock beginning to be vaccinated, but it's not widespread. And as we know, foot and mouth is, is, is uh, affects all cloven off animals. So until they're doing a widespread small stock program as well, I would not say they, they are ahead of that um, curve, ahead of that program at all. You know, I've also got evidence enough up in Kalimantan and oil plant plantations that cattle are a bit more inaccessible and and, um, still a bit of work to be done there, I I believe. When we spoke to you in about June last year, um, you said that local uh, livestock markets were uh, in a bit of chaos as lots of small-time farmers tried to sell off their cattle before they got sick. Has that situation stabilised now? Yes, it has a bit. It has. Um, livestock values are back up marginally on what they were back then prior to FMD hitting in, in, in say, April last year. There's still some effect in West Java this, um, of the backup of those those sort of cattle. And the, the other thing that's happening now, of course, is that is that farmers are scrambling for cattle that aren't available anymore. So we're seeing values push up for good quality live cattle, you know, for farmers that want to grow out, uh, you know, for the local cattle market, so to speak. So I'm talking about the import of feeder cattle market out of Australia, but more the local cattle market sort of kicked a bit with replacement cattle and certainly for, for, for dairy types because of the, the effect of, you know, the effect of the FMD is that, large numbers of cattle were sold off, whether sick or not sick, they were still sold off. So the market has stabilised somewhat, yes. Indonesian importers of of live cattle from Australia were um, somewhat reticent uh, in the middle of last year to import cattle. That um, led to Australia's exports being down around 37% on the five-year average. What's your feeling about how imports of Australian cattle might go this year? Yeah, very interesting. I think the bigger the bigger effect will be that the is the is is the cross rate between the Aussie and the and the and the, and the rupiah uh, is strengthening a little bit. I.e., the Aussie is a bit stronger against the US and the rupiah is sort of stabilising a bit. So that'll be interesting. The other effect, of course, is the is the growing pop herd in Australia, and therefore we might see cheaper cattle. That itself will drive the market up. The other thing that's going to affect it is, of course, that uh, inflationary pressures in Indonesia mean will mean reduced spending power for for some items, and I think that could dampen demand a little bit. But I would say the market will bounce back a bit this year than last year in terms of the feeder cattle market. I would say so, at least. Yeah, simply due to the fact that I think more driven by the supply out of Australia, one would see one would see the necessity of of, of the producers wanting to needing to sell cattle and the prices have eased off a little bit for the Indonesian. So that should drive the market, I would say. That is Dick Slaney, the General Manager of Farm Operations with Greenfields Indonesia, speaking there to Dan Fitzgerald. And we really appreciate Dick's time to share this information with us and keep us up to date. It's a quarter to one here on the Country Hour. As we go to air this afternoon, there's a strong wind warning in place for the Arafira Coast and the Gove Peninsula Coast. And there still is a flood watch in place for the Barclay District. Floods can happen in a flash. That's why you need a proper emergency plan in place. Learn more about the history of flooding and flood warnings in your local area. Check your insurance. 
have an emergency kit ready to go and identify an evacuation route and shelter for you and your family. Prepare, act and survive with ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Your emergency broadcaster. Yeah, things are drying up in the centre and out in the Barclay, so this is expected to be the final flood watch for the Barclay District. According to the Bureau, a trophic is extending across the NT just south of the top end and will move northwards across the top end today as a ridge builds across the Territory, which will clear showers and thunderstorms northwards. However, flooding in low-lying areas and river and creek rises are expected to continue across the Barclay. This is all easing, though. It's all it's all on the down, uh, which will be good for some areas. Rainfall over the last few days and areas of flooding may adversely affect some of the unsealed roads, says the Bureau. We'll be speaking to them at five past one. As always, if you have a question, please do send it through on the text and we'll put it straight to them. 0487 1057 is our text number. Up next, you'll be hearing from the Northern Land Council and the Amateur Fishermen's Association of the Territory. Both organisations have some concerns with the rising amount of land clearing happening in the top end. Right across the Territory on the ABC, you are tuned into the Country Hour. The Northern Land Council says it's lost confidence in the government's ability to regulate the NT's emerging cotton industry and has joined a growing list of organisations that are concerned about the amount of land clearing that's happening right now on the top end. Meanwhile, the Amateur Fishermen's Association of the Northern Territory says the government is failing to protect the iconic Daly River. Max Rowley has more. It's been termed a silver bullet crop for the NT, but the Northern Land Council says Aboriginal people are not being properly consulted about land clearing linked to the development of a growing cotton industry. We're not anti-cotton, we're not anti-development, um, but we are really interested in seeing that the rights of Aboriginal people aren't trampled on. And what we're seeing to date is... Um, causing us great concern, especially when we've got Aboriginal people who call us when they see, you know, the bulldozers roll in and they've just got no idea why they're there, what they're doing. And so that's where we've got to go and ask the questions. Um, Why aren't we being listened to? NLC Chief Executive Joe Martin-Jard says he's lost confidence in the NT government. We don't see a lot of evidence of consultation happening in any kind of meaningful way. There have been, I think, 18 applications for land clearing permits made in the recent 12 months. And um, every time we've put in a submission, it feels like it's just falling on deaf ears. And the other thing that really disappoints us about the Territory government's uh, processes is that the period to make submissions are very short. And we want to see those uh, periods opened up to allow us to go and consult with Aboriginal people to see how they feel about things happening on country where they've got native title rights. Over the years, many people have said that the river is silting up a lot more than what it used to be. So there is a natural or unnatural problem happening on the daily at the moment. That's Warren DeWith, the president of the Amateur Fishermen's Association of the NT, and he's concerned about the impact of land clearing on the Daly River. 
The daily attracts thousands of people there. Territorians, the reason why we live in the Territory is we like to go out and enjoy the environment. If we destroy the environment, why do we want to stay here? What is holding all these people in the Northern Territory is that they love the outdoors. They love going to these natural places and enjoying the outdoors. But if we allow or mistakenly do this without taking the proper controls and making sure that people who are clearing are sticking to the guidelines, then the repercussions and the destruction of the river system is just going to replicate what's happened down south. We are not that stupid that we shouldn't realise what's happened down south could be done up here if the controls and regulations aren't being kept up and controlled and strong enough. A few decades ago, Warren DeWith worked with a group of scientists to inform the NT government on the best way to protect the Daly River. I was on the original Dr Mac, which is the Daly River Management Advisory Committee, back in the maybe 80s or not late 90s that it was done. And the scientists at that stage recommended that there should be a one kilometre buffer along the Daly River to help protect it from any erosion and sediment build-up or sediment washing into the Daly River. But in 2020, the NT government quietly reduced land clearing guidelines at the Daly from a one kilometre buffer to 250 metres. Earlier this year, satellite images and photographs suggested land had been cleared at Claravale Station, adjacent to the Daly River, closer than permitted. Territorians entrust the Northern Territory Government to act on our behalf. They have failed us. The thing is that the Daly River is our iconic Barrow River in the Northern Territory and it needs protecting and the idea of the buffer is to allow that riparian to do its job and not let erosion happen on the banks of the Daly or a lot of sediment being washed into the river. But the NT government says the land at Clara Vale was cleared in the 1960s before clearing permission was required and insists its regulations are sufficient. Here's Chief Minister Natasha Files. So we've enacted significant environmental legislation right across the Northern Territory, uh, more than any other government, uh, and we'll continue to work in this space. We do need to make sure uh, that we have processes that recognise uh, traditional ownership of land, uh, the environment, uh, in terms of any uh, economic development. But Warren DeWith is calling on the government to restore a one kilometre buffer along the Daly River. I'd like to see what scientists or what scientific information they used to allow them to reduce it from one kilometre back to 250 metres. Why have we done that? I mean, I wasn't aware that there was any uh, public discussion about that one kilometre going back to 250 metres. So... It's very disappointing. I mean, we really need to protect the environment. I mean, it's one of those great places to be in the Northern Territories, to be able to go out and enjoy it. And if we allow this to go on, and this could be just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, land clearing is going ahead at a very fast pace now because of cotton. Um, And I'm not against cotton, but I am against not people not following the rules and regulations, but also I'm not again uh, happy about the government if they're not making sure that the rules and regulations are adhered to and if they're not strong enough to protect the environment. The environment has to be looked after. As Warren DeWitt, who's the president of the Amateur Fishermen's Association of the Northern Territory, the ABC has reached out to the owners of Claravale Station but did not receive a response. You could read more about this story up online right now if you search for NT Country Hour. Nominations are now open for Farmer of the Year with 10 categories spanning all ages and stages of life on the land. Let's recognise the hard work of our rural leaders, innovators and farming legends and celebrate those in our rural sector who go above and beyond. You can enter yourself or someone you know at farmeroftheyear.com.au Proudly supported by the Kandinen Group and ABC Rural.
It's been a pretty wet start to 2023. The Kimberley is, of course, swamped. There's lots of water through the Northern Territory. The Murray-Darling Basin, hey? Absolutely drenched. The Murray River, quite the sight to behold. And all of this water around Australia is creating all kinds of opportunities, including a very interesting one at the back of Broken Hill. Dan Fitzgerald joins me in the studio. Tell us, <laughs> tell, tell us about this story. Yeah, so Brendan Cullen, he is a sheep farmer mm-hmm. out to the east of Broken Hill. He's about 350 k's from the nearest coastline, mm. um, and he's uh, aiming to swim the English Channel later this year. Huge. Wouldn't be too many opportunities to practice. Uh, ordinarily. Normally, normally not. Um, but recently, four mornings a week, uh, Brendan has been jumping into the Menindi Lakes, which uh, have been flooded and all full at the moment. Um, and yeah, he's been doing all his training to try and swim the English Channel. Um, fairly warm at the moment, but um, he plans to, to keep on swimming throughout the year. Apparently, it'll get down to about 10 degrees in the in the lake or something. Oh, I would, yes. In the, yeah, in the middle yeah. of winter, which is even colder than the English Channel when, <laughs> when he, he's planning on swimming it in, in September. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he reckons it'll be a, a pretty good spot to train. I mean, it's a great place to train. We just find a good body of water that doesn't have too many sticks floating around it. Um, I know we've got to probably dodge a few carp at the moment. They're thick and there's plenty of them down there. But that's a perfect training ground for us. Yeah. So we'll probably do probably two, if not three, sessions down there during winter. You know, the Menindee Lakes is just such a wonderful place. Very lucky to have that on our doorstep. That's Brendan Cullen. He's a sheep farmer out to the east of Broken Hill and also a long-distance swimmer. Wish him all the best yeah, there, dodging the calf and the sticks. Oh. <laughs> well, that's the English Channel will feel like paradise, a warm paradise by the time he gets there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and not too much visibility at the moment in those murky floodwaters. Yeah. I've been away a little bit, Dan, but have we heard stories out of central Australia with all the rain there of some of the cattle stations firing up the jet skis? And the water skis? I haven't seen too much of that, but I have seen um, images of uh, of somebody on a, on a boogie board behind a ute. Um, in Central yeah, Australia? Yeah, in, around Ali Karung, yeah. cruising there, a young, yeah. young kid um, making, the, making the most yeah, of it. I've always loved how that happens every now and then. The, the covers come off the boats or the jet skis and they blow off the red dust and get amongst it. It's awesome. It's, a, it's awesome to see so much water getting around so many parts of Australia. We'll be speaking to... The Weather Bureau in five minutes' time, so I'll catch you then. G'day, I'm Angus Kidley Baird. I'm the Senior Animal Proteins Analyst with Rabobank, and you're listening to The Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. In a moment, we'll be heading to a paddock near Catherine where farmers have been soiling their undies. Soil your undies is a great opportunity for almost anybody to look at a bit of soil, bury a pair of underpants five centimetres deep for eight weeks. When they dig them back up, if their biology is active, if it's producing all the enzymes they need to basically break down the cotton that the underpants are made of, which is really just the plant sugar, then um, we know the soils are going great. Yeah, so eight weeks ago, a bunch of farmers around Catherine buried some underpants, and yesterday they got dug up. What were the results? You'll find out soon. We'll be getting an update on aquifer levels in Darwin's rural area. Plenty to come. Hope you can stick around. Let's go to the Weather Bureau. Sally Cutter is there this afternoon. 
Uh, much to report this afternoon, Sally? Oh, it was sort of starting to, everything's, all the weather's sort of starting to come down. We've had a, some pretty good rainfall over in the last 24 hours to 9am this morning around Catherine and, and basically the western top end. We had a sort of line coming across, but upper 17 mile creek got 79 millimetres to 9am. The annual was 65, Nightcliff Pool 61. So those coastal locations have caught a bit, but so 17 mile creek, not not upper, but non-normal 17-mile creek got nearly 50 millimetres, 49.5. Nibbalook had, Ridge had 46 millimetres. So there's some pretty good falls. And the line that went north that was formed up on the trough and then moved up to the northeast over the course of yesterday, that dropped to 38 millimetres at Centre Island. So there's been some pretty good rainfall associated with that as well. But everything is now sort of easing off and starting to contract up to the north coast. Okay, there is a, a final flood watch in place for the Barkley, but everything easing in that area. The, the monsoon trough, what can you tell us about it? Uh, the monsoon trough, the, the lower levels, it looks like it's gone, is around about Darwin. The winds, when we put the balloon up this morning, had still has those northwesterly, so it's not quite your textbook monsoon trough. But we are, if you look at the Arafura Sea, you can see all these monsoonal squalls running through it, they're racing through. So we've certainly got monsoonal flow to the north of us and to Darwin and anywhere along the northern or top, right across the top end. So it's just to the south of that, to the real monsoonal flow. So can the, the very north of the top end expect some showers, thunderstorms this evening, tonight? Well, we're going to see them continuing. We might... We've still got the chance that we will see some. We're probably not getting them necessarily overnight or during the day, but we are. There's still the odd one out there now, so we could still see the a few showers and storms, but most of them will be very isolated. We do. We are just starting to see the clouds bubble through the top end mm-hmm. and down to almost down the Stewart Highway, just to the or just to the west of the Stewart Highway. So there might be the odd shower still around, but certainly we're not expecting any. There's a really big storms that we have been seeing. Right. The big moisture from the radar appears to be well off the coast. The fish are getting wet. Um, The weekend, everything's sort of easing, relatively dry is the forecast for the weekend, but can we look a bit further beyond that and uh, opportunities for for more follow-up rain? Yeah, certainly as we go into next week, right through the territory, we've got the chance of getting that follow-up rain. The trough to the north, we're seeing easterlies, a bit of a ridge building up the Queensland coast that pushes the trough over Queensland back into the NT. And that brings with it the showers and storms. So Tuesday, to, through the, the southern Barkley, north east parts of the Simpson, we could see some slow-moving storms there. So that's probably the best day to, to see the showers and storms through there. Then it sort of eases off a little bit, but the chance increases are through the the northern Panama and the and the Gregory and the Carpentaria. So it's the, the southern parts to ease the chances reduce slightly, but the northern we're going to see those the chance of those showers and storms picking up. And the weekend ahead for fishos, what can you tell them? Uh, probably a little windy. So so if you are heading out, just make sure your boat's the appropriate size. Because if you're looking at the the forecast for the the west coast, we've got 15 to 20 knots through there today, easing off a little bit tomorrow, so 10 to 15 knots. If you're along the north coast, we've got strong wind mornings, 15 to 20 knots, reaching up to 30 knots offshore tomorrow, 15 to 10 to 15, reaching up to 20 knots offshore early in the morning. Mm-hmm. So Sunday's probably your best bet if you want to go out. The, the Gove Coastal 
Peninsula Coastal area, we're looking at strong winds for today and into tomorrow morning. And then they're easing off in the evening and around in the Gulf of Carpentaria, area, winds 10 to 15 knots north, most of the winds are westerly, but north, north, northwest to southwest in the in the Gulf of Carpentaria with 10 to 15 knots reaching up to 25 knots offshore north, north of Numbawa. And then tomorrow we're looking at 15 to 20 knots continuing, but so easing until late evening. So Sunday, if you can hold off till Sunday, that's probably your pick of the days to go, okay. if, but not Saturday. Okay. Thanks for your time, Sally. Have a lovely okay. evening. Yep. Sally okay. Cutter at the Weather Bureau. And yes, just repeating, there is a strong wind warning in place this afternoon for the Arafura Coast and Gove Peninsula Coast. Tales from the Tinny. If you wanted to catch a fish, you had to think like a fish. Because sometimes when I'm fishing, I'm like, I've got nothing in my brain, but I'm being the lure. I am the lure. I'm not averse to a loophole team. I don't think any of us are. It's the way we roll in the territory, isn't it? Subscribe to the podcast. <laughs> you just had a little wiggle. But it is only early days, boys. You know, January, like, the bait doesn't even really know what's going on yet. You just hear this little grunt from him. and You just give us that grunt. What does that grunt sound like? <laughs> or catch it from 5.30 today on ABC Radio Darwin. Once a month here on the Country Hour, we like to take a look at how aquifer levels are faring in Darwin's rural area. Adrian Costa is the Territory's Director of Water Assessment. Adrian, it's been fairly wet. How are things looking? Yeah, looking pretty good, Matt. Uh, Darwin Rural uh, is obviously looking good with the weather systems that have come across with the early onset. And we've had some good rainfall from October through to December. In fact, the last month we've seen... um, water levels rise across the Darwin rural area by five to six metres. So uh, things are looking good there. It's probably a combination of getting some recharge to those aquifers, but also people not um, having to use as much water. So uh, things are looking good there. And obviously, we've still got a few months left. And um, obviously, the Bureau have predicted some monsoonal activity bursts that might happen over the next few months. So that'll be Interesting to see, but um, these aquifers are those fill and spill. So, yep, they'll fill up, but then they'll they'll spill over. So they don't have a lot of storage capacity. So we mm. we still need to be mindful of our use. How high is the water table getting in some areas? Uh, on average, they're around about uh, below the surface, around about five meters uh, at the moment. Um, they can obviously in the uh, in the dry, they can sort of go down to around about sort of twenty meters below. Um, so, yeah, at the moment they're sort of hovering on average around about uh, five metres below. And what about Catherine? For, for those looking to irrigate later in the year, what's the story there at the moment? Yeah, look, Catherine's had some good consistent rainfall and um, November was a particularly good uh, month for rainfall, but it hasn't had any significant events. Um, it's good consistent rainfall, but... Um, we haven't had those significant events to date. So um, obviously we're hoping to get a little bit more rainfall activity around that area. We're in the middle of the wet at the moment. I guess we've got a few months to go. And again, with that monsoonal activity burst that's predicted by the Bureau, hopefully uh, that falls in the right spots down there. I got a chance to boat up the Catherine River the other day. Um, there's, you know, there's a bit of a push, but it could be bigger. It could be, and we'll start to see uh, the Catherine the Daily perhaps um, rise. It'll take some some time to do so, but just overnight, um, I think the region or the upper catchment certainly has had about 50 mil- millimetres, so we'll see how that translates over the next sort of month or so. And I know you haven't got the data in front of you at the moment, but the expectation is aquifers around Alice Springs should be fairly healthy. 
They should be, yeah. Again, that um, tropical cyclone that um, I remember hit the Western Australian coast in late December sort of translated right across central Australia. Um, we don't have a lot of telemetry uh, in the Barclay Tanami regions, but we're expecting those aquifers to rise. So as soon as things dry up, we can get out there and get some levels. Um, and that uh, translated to Alice Springs as well. Um, early January, they had about, I think it was about 80 mils within uh, five or six hours. Um, and just last weekend, they had another 40 mils. So things are looking pretty good there. Thanks for your time today, Adrian. See you next month. Yeah, no problem, Matt. Great to be with you. Adrian Costa, Director of Water Assessment in the Northern Territory with the Department of Environment and Water Security. Now, just quickly, if you missed the Country Hour yesterday, then you missed our conversation with Tracy Hayes. Tracy is the former Chief Executive of the NT Cattlemen's Association. She's also the facilitator for the live export class action against the federal government's suspension of the live cattle trade to Indonesia back in 2011. Now, it's been more than two and a half years since the federal court ruled in favour of the cattle industry's class action, and yet only the lead claimants, the Brett Cattle Company, have received a payout. As for everyone else, where is the money? What is going on? Tracy was on the program yesterday to provide an important update. Yes, I can report that we have received an initial offer um, from the Commonwealth. Uh, look, that offer, it's not an acceptable offer and um, we're, and uh, is, has been rejected um, by us. Uh, so essentially, we're at the table now uh, negotiating to um, achieve a compromise position. Tracy Hayes, if you missed that interview yesterday with Tracy, it's up on our website right now. You search for NT Country Hour. There it is. You can click on it and listen to that interview in full. Ever feel like the world is overflowing with news? It's like trying to drink from a fire hose. But Charlie Pickering and the team from The Weekly are prepared. Let's do this. They watch all the news so you don't have to. Ready, Charlie? Ready. Wait, that fire hose isn't real. It's just a sound effect, right? Well, let's find out. Oh, no. The oh, new God. season of The Weekly. It tickles. <laughs> Back Wednesday, February 8th on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. It is 16 past one here on the Country Hour. Let's head to Catherine now where local farmers have been busy this week digging up underpants. You might remember a few months back, a bunch of farmers were encouraged to soil their undies as part of an interesting project to better understand soil health. Well, those undies have now been dug up. The results are in. Max Rowley went along to the field day and spoke with soil scientist Dr Oliver Knox. I've come back up here to Catherine with the Territory NRM and the reason for that is they've been soiling their undies and encouraging farmers in the region to do so. So I've come back to have a look at their incredible soiled undies. And just remind us quickly what this is all about. What's the value of, you know, putting these cotton undies in the soil? All too often we just see soil as dirt and we ignore the fact that it's actually teeming with life. It's such a hugely important ecosystem for, for us on this planet. You know, it's, it's where our food begins. It's where the life that turns over the nutrients that leads to our pastures and our crops is. So it's really important. So 
Soil Rundies is a great opportunity for almost anybody to look at a bit of soil, bury a pair of underpants five centimetres deep for eight weeks, and when they dig them back up, if their biology is active, if it's producing all the enzymes they need to basically break down the cotton that the underpants are made of, which is really just a plant sugar, then um, we know the soils are going great. If they don't break down, then they can maybe ask questions like, OK, what's wrong? What can I do to help? And go from there. And these are some of the, the lucky undies, some of the first that have been put in in the Territory. Now, this has been done around Australia, I understand, but these are some of the first in the Territory to be dug up. So this is more of a, a bigger set, if you like. So we've done about 12 pairs up here over the last oh, maybe six, seven months, but this pair was more um, organised, was around World Soils Day, and really we've got, I think there's about 30-odd pairs have gone out, but this is the first six pairs from those that have come back now. So, yeah, quite exciting. And these are all from the Catherine region. Um, let's have a look. Take me through what you're seeing here and, and what you make of it. So in front of us here on the table, we've got six pairs of pants from, uh, what well, we've got three different farms and different fields, different production systems. Some are from mangoes, some are from pasture. So it's, it's a nice captured, I guess, representation of some of the enterprises here around Catherine. And what we've got is huge differences. We've got a couple of pairs that have come out of the ground literally ready to shake off and put back on. I don't know if you'd be quite wearing these, but yeah, there's not much not much of that fabric eaten away in these. What would you make of this pair and, and what's happened there? So there's a few of these pairs that, as you said, are pretty much intact. What's happened here, we've noticed when we've been excavating them, they're either sitting on a clay pan or the soil that we're actually taking up is incredibly wet. And this process is aerobic. It relies on oxygen. And the bugs in these cases, the rain that we've had, which has been amazing, has actually just sat in the soil whether um, one's a combination of a clay pan the other one's actually just the amount of clay in the soil but it's sat there saturated too much moisture for the bugs to get active at so we only get a little bit of degradation we get some discoloration from the soil that's washed through them but we don't get that huge breakdown because the biology that actually causes this breakdown that's driving this nutrient part of the cycle it's an air breather and the moisture is basically the water in the system has meant they were having no oxygen to breathe so they've not been active is that what you expected then, given it's the wet season here in the Territory? I had hoped that in the wet season with the, the temperature and the moisture we'd have seen some phenomenal breakdown. So these two pairs are a bit of a surprise, but in one case, yeah, there's a clay pan there which is like, OK, do we want to try and alleviate that and try and get the moisture to drain away in that field a bit more? And the answer is maybe, maybe not. The, the mangoes growing there are fantastic, so why worry about it? Um, so maybe it's not the end of the world. And that's, I could tell you about the other pair of pants we pulled out from the same Yeah, yeah, and just also time. just to clarify as well, so these are from some, there's some mango farms, what kind of properties? Um, so the th we've got three pairs right here in front of us, and these are all from a mango farm. Um, one set is from the Catherine side of the river, a very sandy soil. The other set has actually come from where we are today, back, back on the sort of Darwin side of the river. The soils are slightly more clay-rich, um, still very red, but a, a different structure and texture, if you like. And then we've got three other pairs which have all come from the farm we're on today which is a, a mixed enterprise but they've come out of different parts of the pasture on the farm here and actually three very different soil types yeah right and so take us through another one of these undies though these ones here uh, there's basically nothing left except for the elastic band and a bit of stitching so the, the pair you've, you've touched there is is almost good enough for mardi gras it's definitely <laughs> there is as you said stitching in the elastic it's from the same farm as the pair that are beside them in front of us here that have basically not broken down at all why um 
a different bit of soil in the landscape, slightly more of a, a run on the field, if you like. There's a bit of a slope to it. There's also a bit of limestone coming through the surface. So we think there the soil is actually shallower and is maybe therefore draining a lot more freely. And what's happened there is that biology in that soil has been warmer, has had the right amount of water and has had, a, had access to oxygen. And my gosh, in, in eight weeks, they have basically devoured all of the cotton that those underpants are made of, suggesting wonderful activity, wonderful biology under those mangoes. Um, which is why you think when you look at the pair that have literally come from the next field over, there is still something we can do there to try and encourage more biological activity and increase that nutrient cycling in that system. And what would be the general advice, I guess, for someone that is pulling up those undies and uh, they're pretty well intact and there hasn't been too much, you know, I guess, biological activity there in the soil? It's, it's that first thing. It's that, OK, now we've got you looking at your soil through a pair of underpants. Now look at your soil. OK, is there a clay pan or is there something that's maybe inhibiting moisture draining out of that soil? Uh, it appears to be that the pairs up here that have come out intact right away again, it's because they have just been in soil that's been too wet does that matter um possibly not but is there then something you think to think about doing um, we haven't talked about the other pair but maybe we should because the other pair that are over here that are also beautifully intact it's because the soils are heavy clay it's hanging on to that moisture beautifully but the thing to remember about this is the farmer who's done that has said you know what i know this is a fragile soil i'm trying to encourage more ground cover on it and the biggest change he's meaning to his management is he's now keeping the livestock off it in the wet so that we're hoping that the biomass we're growing there now this year will be incorporated back into that soil give us better structure and um actually maybe if we would do it back in a year's time it would be phenomenal. We'd actually see a lovely degraded pair of pants, but at the minute, it's part of a fixing process and, and just making the correct management changes to say, you know what, this is what this bit of soil needs. It needs a rest in the wet because it's, otherwise it's going to be damaged and become irreparable. Right, and so I guess the key takeaway there is that it takes time, but your job is to get people looking at their soil and paying closer attention. Yeah, when we know things are wrong, there's no quick fix, sadly, with soil, but we can destroy it in an instant. So it's always about that, looking after it, trying to improve it. And, and, and I think when we can do that, then we're on a winner. And I have to say this, look, but the farmers I've spoken to this week, almost every one of them has said, I'm doing this to help my soil this year. And you go, great. And then they say, and I'm going to do more. And I just think that's so important. And, and also lovely to hear that these guys are not only acting in a, a good stewardship of the land that they're currently managing, but they're also trying to make it even better. And as some of these pants show us, some of this soil is already in phenomenal good health. And to hear those farmers say they're going to try and do even more just makes me think it's, it's encouraging for the future of Australia, for Australian soils, and just for great productivity and amazing soils for our future generations. It's just great. Oliver Knox, who is a soil scientist with Cotton Info at the University of New England. I got a text here from Alex in Alice Springs who says, Matt, I can guarantee you that if I buried cotton undies in the dirt where I live, they would be demolished in fairly short order, not by microbes or fungi, but by termites, says Alex. For many years, he says, I've employed a standard practice, the excavation of individual planting sites, which are backfilled with cardboard or paper, and then install new plants straight on top. He says the termites surge for the soil, eating out the paper, creating instant soil structure beneath the new plants, and the termites don't attack the plants. Rather, they grow vigorously without ill-affected. It works like a charm, says Alex in Alice Springs.
Hey, speaking of field days and opportunities to learn, there are some workshops coming up very soon in Alice Springs, Tennant Creek and Catherine. It's called the Farm Business Resilience Program. These four-day courses are valued at $10,000 each, but the good news you get to do them for free. Anne-Marie O'Callaghan is the founder of Value Creators, which has designed and is delivering these farm business resilience programs. Anne-Marie, can you explain to us what this program's all about? Yeah, so the Farm Business Resilience Program has various, you know, similar types of programs in each of the states. And we've been responsible for delivering the Farm Business Resilience Program in Western Australia. And so we designed and um, developed and delivered the program in WA with great success. And then we had the opportunity to develop the program further and to take it to the Northern Territory. And so the partnership has continued with the Northern Territory government and with the Northern Northern Territory and the Northern WA Drought Hub. And that's via Charles Darwin University. So it's a real partnership project. Initially, the funding is all from the federal government through the Future Drought Fund. So the the Farm Business Resilience Program is one of those key programs under the federal government's Future Drought Fund. So, yes, we're excited. And it's it's that funding that allows it to be free for farmers and agribusinesses. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and this is a real kicker for agribusinesses. It's such a great opportunity. It is valued at $10,000 per person. And there's spots available for 30 fully funded participants from the Northern Territory. Um, And that's businesses, so 30 businesses. And each of those businesses can send two of their people from the business, whether they're owners of the business or employees, or they might be um, managing uh, a business on behalf of a larger corporate. So... That's great value. The wheat belt of WA is a very different place to the top end of the Northern Territory. What does preparing for drought look like in the top end? Yeah, look, some of the concepts apply across the board, geographically and across industries. And obviously the program is designed to really focus on that longer term horizon. And this is the key element that it really looks at the, the how we manage and negotiate or navigate change. Because if you want to set a long-term plan and put new goals in place, at the heart of that is our ability to adapt and create change and lead change, the change that we want. So whether you're in the wheat belt of WA or in, you know, the centre of uh, Northern Territory, the concept of focusing on the long-term is very much the same. And the program is tailored for agribusinesses. So it includes all of the complexities that all agribusinesses are having to manage. And we all know that all of our agribusinesses, they've got multiple skills and they have to be able to, you know, juggle all of those multiple tasks. So the program breaks that down into really bite-sized chunks because it can be quite overwhelming otherwise to think about that long-term future when really there's lots of jobs to be done on the property and in the business on that day. And it it really does encourage us to just press pause and think longer term and work on the business. 
you're holding workshops in Alice Springs, Tennant Creek and Catherine. If people are interested, how do they sign up? Yeah, so the best um, start is to get in contact with us at Value Creators and um, you can go on to our, um, our website, which is um, valuecreators.com.au, so www.valuecreators.com.au. Well, just give us a call. Thanks for your time on the Country Hour, Anne-Marie, and we'll see you in the Northern Territory soon. We're looking forward to it. Thanks very much for your time, Matt. Anne-Marie O'Callaghan from Value Creators. So these workshops, Farm Business Resilience Program, yes, being held in the Alice, Tennant Creek and Catherine. The first one in Alice kicks off on the 27th of February. So if you are interested, give Value Creators a call and get involved. That's it for the Country Hour. Keep it rural. Keep it rural.